Hi, welcome to the Beyond Athens podcast with your hosts, Jaden Park and Owen Ferguson. Owen, my man, how's your morning going? It's going great, man. It's going fantastic. That's good to hear. That's good to hear. Any type of things going through your brain today, this morning? I'm just, uh, you know, I'm starting my new job, or my old job, I guess I got it back, so that's kind of hype, but besides that, not much. Um, I do, regarding to this podcast, want to talk about, and we kind of go back to this question a lot, what makes a good life, Jaden? What makes a good life? Back to this question. Back to this question, yeah. One of the most important questions we can formulate is what makes our life what's going to make our life good don't you want a good life right yeah and i think going back to that um something i learned this morning is there's there can be adjectives that help describe what uh a good life is right it can it can kind of be defined as natural a natural good life which is more universal and there can be a uh, individualized good life, right? Where it's defined by an individual person. But we were talking about like the the standard we set, like what we think is a good life. And kind of based on that, a blueprint almost or like principles that are involved into a good life. Yeah, we were starting to get into principles and the principle principle was good character, right? We were kind of having some discussion about. But today, we're going to get into something kind of different. So there was this philosopher, Jaden, I'm sure you are aware of, by the name of Epicurus. And Epicurus, everybody, was a philosopher in ancient Greece. He was around the time that Alexander the Great kind of took the Macedonian Empire and Hellenized, which, like, Greekified the whole known world. So it was... You know, pretty crazy times at the time. Beforehand, Greece and the Greek states had been living in these these smaller city states and communities, but now they were under this huge empire, and things were things were hectic. There was a lot of turmoil after Alexander the Great died. Um, many different Macedonian kings or um, generals started claiming territory, and basically there was just tons of fighting going on. Right, it was a hectic time. So people were looking for a more internalized way of living a good life. Because beforehand, you know, especially in Athens and these other Greek states, in order to live a good life, the common view was you had to do well in politics. You had to do well on the public stage, right? You had to have honor, which honor is outsourcing, um, like, how you feel about yourself to other people, right? To your community, to your society, and Epicurus and other philosophers, and we'll, we'll talk about the Stoic philosophers later, were looking for a more internalized way to the good life. And so that leads us to how do we live a good life? And what did Epicurus say to that? He was kind of based on, with, with the time period that he was going through, he was kind of like, why should this matter to me? Why am I letting this affect my life when I have nothing to do with Alexander the Great? He was saying, mm -hmm. why should you let mass societal opinions and politics 
control your life and control your emotions. I understand that. And it's so relevant in today's world. People get involved. It's incredibly relevant. People get involved in these mass trendy uh, hobbies, right? Because there's football, there's there's politics. Anything that has like a mass following around it has the potential to to control your life in a way. Mm-hmm. And so he based his life on the philosophy that you shouldn't let outside forces have that much control over you because when you when you get interested and involved in those things it does have control over your emotions and so he started a school um in a garden correct right yeah it's he started the school it called the garden and yeah it was i think it had a garden added on it was this house outside of the public sphere of athens that he just bought um and he lived with a bunch of different friends and would invite people over to help practice his philosophy Epicurus's philosophy, Epicureanism. Right. Epicureanism. And and that was to kind of allow people to have their own projects and focus on themselves away from the masses. Um, And he was a very interesting philosopher. Uh, He's had many many articles written and discovered and he was in the time period he didn't have like a whole lot of science to explain the world so he came up with his own theories and a lot of them were proven wrong but they're still very interesting right um but he believed that um man lives in superstition and fear right so Right, man lives in a state, especially back then, right, where they were explaining their reality. You know, your average Greek, your average ancient slash classical person was explaining the the dealings that happened around them that were outside of their control in a supernatural way. They describe it to the gods, right, or to some other mythical force. Yeah, and he didn't like that. He didn't like mystical forces because he realized what was attached to those mystical forces which was fear and superstition so in his articles he never really talks about the gods at all um and so he thinks man lives out of fear and the goal of philosophy was to liberate man from fear and superstition he thinks fear is completely harmful to us he doesn't see a whole lot of benefit in fear it's weird. I mean, if you look at it from a more like biological standpoint, psychological kind of human development standpoint, we do look at fear as a good thing, as something that warns us of a danger and um, keeps us safe and lets, let keeps us safe and lets us get out of there because we have those psychological reactions of like, I'm not in a good space right now. I got to get out. But what he I mean, and this is sort of a different type of fear, but he's still saying, listen, man doesn't need to have fear if man uses reason to understand nature to understand the way things are, to understand death even, he will not fear anything, and that is the best life lived. Right, and he was super involved with the atom. He had he was very intrigued and almost an obsession over the atom. And yeah, that's kind of why he wrote so many philosophies on the world is because he thought that supernatural forces were created because of unexplainable things that couldn't be connected to the world, right? And so that's mm-hmm. why he wrote so many philosophies on it. Yeah, and, and he would kind of show that, you know, there's not really a point to study this. I mean, he was really, he was an empiricist, right? 
heavily focused on empiricism, which is the idea that you can really only explain the reality around you um, with what you can sense, what you can see, what you can touch, what you can feel. That's really the only way to explain reality. So what's the point of making all this you know, hodgepodge about these gods and just instilling fear in people while well, it's going to mess with your ataraxia? And let's get to that, right? So the goal of a a Epicurean life is to... So, I mean, what, let, let's go back. What does Epicurus want to do? He wants to li- have us live without fear. But the big goal of an Epicurean life, of the good life, is a, a life full of pleasure when it comes down to it. But not necessarily just pleasure, a pleasure of ataraxia, which is another Greek concept we're going to dive into right now. Ataraxia being a state of tranquility. So he wants us to live our lives in this state of ataraxia, this state without fear, the state of tranquility, and that is the best way to live a life. Yeah, and when I first heard about empiricism, the first thought to me was, oh, that's wrong. Like, you can't learn from speculation. Like, I don't I don't believe in that. But I was doing some research on Epicureanism. That's a tough one to say. I was doing some research on Epicurus, and I didn't realize that there are benefits to empiricism. The reason is, is... Even though you believe that the only way you can have knowledge and learn is through experience, you really have to think for yourself. And that's the biggest benefit I can see from empiricism is people say that, oh, the ocean's so great. And if you go to the ocean, you're like, oh, no, I don't like this. And you create an opinion saying, oh, the ocean is bad. And you're thinking for yourself doesn't matter what anybody else says. And I think that's a skill that a lot of people lack in today's world that they could implement is thinking for yourself and creating your own opinion on things instead of letting people around you create the opinion for you. Because I see way too much of that. Like politics and football, right? Those really big hobbies that um, have a big following around them really can mess with your ataraxia man mess with that state of tranquility and that state of thinking for yourself yeah have you ever seen those uh political videos where they trick um college students and saying oh this person said this which is actually the opposite and they say they hate it when in actuality it was the person that they liked that said it and then they reveal it Mm -hmm. after and they just go with whatever they're told to do they don't think for themselves at all i think it's hilarious (laughs) Like, it's so funny. (laughs) It's really funny. It's really funny. It's also crazy, the lack of knowledge of, like, history, you know, that some of these these people show in these types of videos. And, you know, people people can form such strong opinions without, with very little knowledge of what's actually going on. And um, so tying this that's problematic all back to tranquility, you kind of have to have a skill to think for yourself to have ataraxia, to find that. And if you don't, if you can't think for yourself, it's kind of hard to find this meditative bliss when you're so used to being a follower of other people's opinions. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's one of the most important tenets of Epicureanism is thought in general. To live a good life, you need to make sure you engage in thought with yourself, you know, writing them down, looking through your anxieties and problems and you know, exposing what you can fix about them. 
and thought with other people, friends, stuff like this. And Epicurus right was now. so good at thinking for himself because everybody around him believed in the gods. And mm-hmm. that's a tough opinion to make when it's so common. You know, he's like, oh, everybody believes in these gods, but I have no experience with them. Empiricism. I have no experience with the gods, so I don't believe in them, right? The only way I'm going to believe in the gods is if one shows up at my door. Yeah, and oh man, I just had this conversation yesterday with my roommate, and which kind of shows light in how this pattern of thinking kind of manifests itself even today, especially in our culture, because, you know, we grew up in LDS families, right? Pretty heavily religious. And one of the most oft quoted um, sayings of the church is when uh, Dieter F. Uchtdorf says, um, don't doubt your faith, doubt your doubts. And that just kind of blows me away. Like I'd never, you know, being like super in the church, you know, growing up, you never really think about that. It's like, oh yeah, that makes sense. You got to stay faithful, right? But thinking about it, it's like, you're not allowed to doubt your doubts. I mean, I mean, you're supposed to doubt your doubts, right? Like you're, you're not allowed to have these doubts. <laughs> like that's a scary thought, man. <laughs> well, it's so funny because as kids we're told, listen to your gut feeling, right? Um, ask questions and that's the biggest thing that philosophers do is ask questions and pretty much with that statement doubt your doubts it's like doubt your gut feeling you know don't use critical thinking real quick you just had a podcast with a pal of yours right yeah Chris. that had to do with not necessarily epicureanism but a separate philosophy which is derived from the greek word hedonisa pleasure so this is hedonism right and so how can we kind of relate that and well just give us a brief description of hedonism and what you've talked about with your friend okay so how i describe hedonism to everybody is good things are good because they're pleasurable and bad things are bad because they're painful that's the Mm -hmm. most basic description i can give And so it's kind of a belief that we should strive for things that feel good because they're pleasurable and then therefore they are good and kind of stay away from the things that are painful. And it's it sounds pretty black and white, but there are certain circumstances where it gets a little gray, right? Because we talk about desire in the last podcast. We talk about how desire can be painful, but also pleasurable right because it's so it's so based on your feelings and and based on your ambition that it can become an addiction which is unhealthy and in the last podcast we also talk about addiction and how to use hedonism for those hedonistic tendencies to your advantage and to your benefit instead of letting it become an addiction and become a negative because everybody okay. has hedonistic tendencies and they don't realize it. Um, if you use self-awareness and mindfulness, you can become aware of your hedonistic tendencies. And once you address those, you can pretty much learn how to use it in moderation where it becomes healthy for you. Yes. And I think 
I think that's kind of where Epicurious, Epicureanism, gosh dang it, Epicureanism comes in. <laughs> it's hard. Anyway, so I'll just read a quote that um, I got from one of these books I was reading about him. Epicurus wrote, I don't know how I shall conceive of the good if I take away the pleasures of taste, if I take away sexual pleasure, if I take away the pleasure of hearing, and if I take away the sweet emotions that are caused by the sight of beautiful forms. These are all pleasurable experiences. So he's basically saying that, you know, to an extent, he definitely agrees with that. He thinks that really the only way you're going to enjoy living a good life is if you enjoy it, right? Enjoy these these different pleasures. And that's kind of the main focus here, this focus on ataraxia, a state of tranquility and basically an absence from pain when it comes down to it. So in Epicurus's philosophy... Um, there are kind of two big needs that will not be denied in order to live a good life. And those are uh, bodily health and comfort. That's very important. Um, other philosophers kind of try and get away with that, right? From that and like, especially the Stoics, right? You're supposed to separate your mind from the body. But Epicurus is saying, no, you're, you're all here. You're all one atomic being, right? And that's just how it's going to be. Don't try to get away from that fact. Keep your body healthy. And number two, equanimity or peace of mind, ataraxia. And in order to, and he really dives especially, I mean, he wasn't like a doctor, right? So he let, he let the doctors deal with, oh, how do I keep my body healthy? But he dealt with the question, how do I keep myself happy? What makes for a happy life? And he kind of divided that into three big parts. So number one, everyone needs friends. Friendship is huge. Friendship is very important. He wrote, of all the things that wisdom provides to help one lives, live one's entire life in happiness, the greatest by far is the possession of friendship. So let's talk about that. What, what Do you think friendship is important for the good life? What do you think the purposes of good friendships are? And let's kind of let's get these ideas engaged with our viewers and see what we come up with with what Epicurus had to say about friends. Well, I'm going to start back a little bit when you first started talking about how his thoughts were you should kind of focus on a, a life you enjoy. And too often I see people like kind of uh, kind of not taking that seriously. They they don't do things and make decisions that make them enjoy their life. And Epicurus is a huge He's he's on the other side of self-sacrifice. He hates self-sacrifice. He thinks it's so stupid because <laughs> you are you are literally giving up your happiness and giving it to somebody else, right? And so this is where it gets a little tricky because he's a huge like he he loves having friends. He thinks friends are important, but also doesn't think you should sacrifice your happiness for them. So he has his priorities set into a into a strong enough belief that you come first. He understands that priority is you first. And that's how it should you be. You come first, baby. That's how it should yes. be. Yes. Right? <laughs> so often we see relationships where people give everything they have to it someone is. else and it ruins them, right? I've had a relationship like that. I don't know if you've had one like that, Owen, but it can be tough 
giving yourself and sacrificing your happiness for someone else's. That's not how it should be. And we talk about it a little bit in the Eros podcast on how you should take responsibility for you. While we're here, do you have any specific examples of maybe times you think you gave too much, say, to a significant other or, I mean, not necessarily a significant other, someone you were dating or um, a friend? Yeah, I have an example. I'd have... We'll we'll just go Sweet. into it. Uh, I mean, I haven't I haven't openly said anything about this on anything before, but my life's an open book now. Pretty much, I was dating this girl, um, and I was living in Utah. We met in Utah, and she had a dream to become a sports broadcaster for Sports Center, and in the small college where we met at wasn't going to get her to that type of level, that type of caliber of a broadcasting organization. And so she moved to Mississippi and pretty much at that point, her and I were pretty serious and pretty in love. And I was like, do I move to Mississippi and focus my life around her because of how in love I am? Or do like I wait? Do I do we break up? Um, and I made the decision to self-sacrifice and go out there so that she can pursue her dreams. So I did that, and it just all backfired. Um, about yeah. eight months later of living in Mississippi, because I didn't put myself first. And when that happens, I took responsibility for her stuff and she took responsibility for me because I was broke. Like I didn't, I I was working two jobs. It was, it was a nightmare. And with that type of struggle, being in a relationship like that, you automatically take responsibility for that and try to help the best you can. But when you start taking responsibility for someone else's life, yours gets neglected and it just turns into a shit show and it, it's 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 tough when you don't prioritize yourself first and that's probably the biggest lesson i learned from moving out there and so yeah self self-sacrifice is probably not the best idea right he epicurus would say that is dumb <laughs> yeah absolutely and we do it too often because we just are impulsive and 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 we try to rationalize it and rationalize it's rational lies <laughs> i don't know if if everybody can understand that but um <laughs> i think friends are important oh oh rational lies yeah rational oh. rational lies is rational lies i get yeah, it now yeah, yeah. Yep. so you lie to yourself <laughs> yeah you do it's justification <laughs> for um and and it's just an unhealthy thought process that we use but going back to friends i think friends are important um i think there is a specific boundary that should be set between friends um where you're not sacrificing in a harmful way because giving gifts and and like giving time to other people is in a sense, like self-sacrificing, but it's not, it's not an unhealthy self-sacrifice because it's like, oh, I like you, Owen. I want to take you out to, to lunch and we can go chit chat or, hey, I have two tickets to Hawaii. That's, that's self-sacrificing your money, right? 
spending way too much on someone else for and so a there's a fine line where you can go over and under it's it's kind of this middle ground where you're trying to hit because there is not enough sacrifice to have a friendship and there's too much sacrifice to have a friendship and so it's finding that so middle ground where you're gonna have the best friendships and an equal understanding of each other being being able to have that that rational yeah rationally looking at what makes this friendship a good friendship right so not necessarily just taking anyone that likes you and is down to hang as oh this is my buddy right but being able to see okay is this friendship benefiting me is it benefiting them is it adding to my ataraxia right so true friends do not evaluate us according to worldly criteria it is the core itself they are interested in their love for us isn't affected by our appearance or position in the social hierarchy i think that's also very important when it comes to friendship is I mean, the, this idea of Epicurean freedom is we kind of want to separate ourselves from politics and social anxieties and, and that type of sphere of life, right? We, we don't want to really necessarily put too much energy into that because that messes with our ataraxia. Well, our friends should recognize that too and recognize that it's really what's on the... I mean, it's going to sound cheesy, but when it comes to friendship, it's what's on the inside that matters. It shouldn't be how good we look in a specific day and and our social hierarchy status, you know? Yeah, there's a reason that the word acquaintances exists. Mm -hmm. Oh, dude, that's such a... Oh, man. Like, that's such a problem, I feel like, with some people is they just assume everyone is their friend. Like, oh, yeah, man, I just... I see those girls a lot. I feel like is like this girl will meet this other girl for like 15 minutes at a party. And you know, a lot of it's just in their speech and what they're saying, but I mean, they'll be talking about, "Oh yeah, yeah, we're great friends now," you know. It's like, "No, you're not." I've definitely you're met not those great people. Friends. I've met those people <laughs> and you're just like, "How do you consider them your friend when you've hung out with them <laughs> once?" I just no. I just don't get it. And you're barely my friend, dude, and I've known you since since like age 14. What the hell? I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's a joke. Started an entire podcast together. Oh, you're barely my friend. That's so rude. You're just kind you of up stayed there, man. at my house. I don't know how many nights. Well <laughs> over fifty. Yeah. Oh, back in Tooele. In yeah, Tooele and no, here, I would, I, would, at, I would sleep over all the time at my new place. So I know. Good times, bro. I'm just messing talk, but you know what I'm saying, right? Like people are no. way too quick to say. I definitely understand. You're my friend. Yeah, that could be a uh, insecurity for them. Uh, there's there's a whole lot of reasons that they could do that. Um, maybe it's that's how they measure how happy they are or how successful they are is how many friends they have. And we talk about that in the Beyond Success episode of of the Beyond Athens podcast. Yeah, totally. How are you measuring success? And is what is the measure using success healthy? And, you know, if it's the amount of friends you can make in 15 minutes at a party, that doesn't sound like a healthy way of measuring your success, no. right? No. And and sometimes it's just the way people were raised. Um, our parents have such an impact on who we are as a person. We don't even realize that our parents are the most influential people in our lives until we're teenagers. Which which mm-hmm. makes me to start thinking like, what type of people were Epicurus's parents? <laughs> they were poor. He actually grew up on this 
on this island, the island of Samos. Like most of these great philosophers grew up in like, you know, the great metropolis of Athens, right? But he grew up in this poor little island. And um, yeah, I mean, not much is said about his childhood, but he definitely lived not a luxurious lifestyle growing up, um, which is kind of interesting, right? Yeah, and kind of based on the philosophy he's created, um, Epicureanism, they live off of bare essentials. So obviously he doesn't place a high value on materialistic things. Yeah, I wouldn't say necessarily like they're trying to live off of bare essentials, right? But when they rationalize, rationally come to um, what leads to a good life, they're realizing that most of these things um, that people want that cost a lot of money aren't actually adding to their happiness. So what it comes down to is they don't need much more than, you know, some bread and olive oil. They don't need much more than, you know, a regular car. They don't need much more than a, a nice house with a garden, a nice little house with a garden. They, um, they're looking at what actually is making them happy. What's their natural desires. And so let's, let's go from there. Actually. Um, let's talk about riches because this kind of, this kind of goes uh, and intertwines with our friendship. So what Epicurus would say about what we try when we're trying to secure riches um, is that rather than being understood as a simple hunger for a luxurious life, a more important motive for trying to gain these riches is the wish to be appreciated and treated nicely. We want to secure the respect and attention of people who would otherwise look right through us. So he's kind of saying we need to examine why we want to be getting super rich, he would say to the people um, of Athens around him. Is it because just the riches in itself or is it because of some respect um, that you'll be gaining through that and how you'll be appreciated and treated? And I think we can even answer that ourselves, right? And, And then analyze it. So for me, the reason I want to become rich is so, one like sounds awesome like it's cool you know (laughs) i want to be driving nice stuff having nice things i mean who doesn't so there's one and i didn't grow up with any of those things like i grew up in a like well-off family but not like a rich family right and it's Mm -hmm. kind of based on desire where i'm i'm at the point where i've seen the potential of people that are rich i've been around people that are rich and i want that more than what i grew up with right so it's from me getting from here to getting to upper class and (laughs) that's kind of my desire of getting rich and if we analyze that that's because of my childhood and kind of my my uh desires and with desires I have to analyze, is it a healthy desire or is it an unhealthy desire? With hedonism, is it is it painful or is it pleasurable? And that's what I have to analyze it, for myself. It depends on how much, yeah, how, like how hard is it going to be? How much is it going to mess with your tranquility? Because that's the end goal in itself, the ataraxia. How much is it going to mess with that in order to gain that status, gain those riches? If it's not going to mess with it a lot, then Epicurus would say, yeah, man, go for it. If you can live a good life while being rich, sick. But he's saying that isn't necessary. Yeah. And if it's going to mess with, with the, if, you're, if you're working, if you're putting in like 80 hours a week, man, doing some shit you don't like to do, 
And absolutely, being rich is not the way to go. That is not going to lead to your happy life. Yeah, you're going to end up having a lot of money, but that's not going to lead to a state of ataraxia. And ultimately, that's what Epicurus wants for everyone. Hopefully, I'll be fine with how much uh, philosophy research I do and implementation. So (laughs) hopefully, we'll be good on on keeping it tranquil. Uh, The point I was getting with is that with, with riches... People often want to gain riches in order to gain some sort of respect from people around them, right? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, they look at other people that are rich, they're a little jealous because of how people treat them, of how they're perceived in a social context. And so what Epicurus is saying about friendship and kind of the main point of friendship is that he recognized that a handful of true friends could deliver the love and respect that even a fortune may not, right? So that is kind of the importance of friendship to Epicurus. Having people to talk to, to, um, to analyze, you know, your struggles, problems, anxieties through rationally and figuring out your own life out and also to deliver the love and respect that you may think you need from being a high status type person, but really you only can truly get from having a few true great, great friendships, right? Um, friendship is important, everybody, and and you should focus on on making true ones that that last and really benefit you um, towards being the best person you can be. And I think I think we'll wrap it up right there. All righty, guys, thank you for listening to the Beyond Athens podcast. Make sure to check out our blog at beyondathensblog.com. And thank you for listening. All right, have a good day. Sick. Yeah, that'd be dope. <laughs> yeah.